Welcome to Ami Sites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. Join the founder and CEO of Multifunding, Ami Kassar, and his co-host, Lynn Ozer, the president of Multifunding, aka the SBA Queen, as they help you navigate, grow, and stay in control of your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our newest Ami Sites presentation. So today, I am hosting Stacy Mandeville, and I know this is going to be great. We've been having a good time talking. Stacy is the founder of the Mandeville Method, and we're going to get right down. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for the introduction and for for chatting with me about everything before the podcast. <laughs> I feel like BFFs already. I do too. And I know that everyone on this call or on this podcast is going to appreciate everything that you have to say. So let's get started. Do we start with what is the Mandeville method or how did you get to the Mandeville method? Uh, I think that that story is kind of a combo mishmash anyway. Okay, Um, so start from the beginning. Tell us when you were young and thinking about what you wanted to do and you went to school, what was the original intent? Where were you going? What was your direction? Well, Lynn, my original intent and direction was I was going to be a star, darling. I was going to be in the theater. Well, Uh, I sort of see that in your background, that that was maybe what you were going to do. Yes. And this, some of that ties into the Mandeville Method. Three women that inspire me. I had an artist make those for me. Ella Fitzgerald was my first jazz experience. And I sing jazz with a trio. When when I can, I'm very busy. Uh, the top is Myrna Loy in uh, the the Thin Man as Nora uh, drinking a vintage vintage all vintage with a cocktail. <laughs> Bottom is Catwoman Julie Newmar because I teach the supervillain method of authority and gravitas. So those are my things. That's awesome! Great. And, and uh, yeah, the artist did a fantastic job. My next one is going to be Auntie Mame because she is. In my head. Absolutely. Um, But that being said, I was supposed to be in the theater and I did for a while. I went to NYU, got my BFA and I went to Stella Adler Conservatory and pursued it like you do. And I was in a bunch of dumb shows like you do, because either you're famous or you're not. (laughs) And and in this one show, uh, it was the it's one step above street mime one of those audience participation dinner theater shows. So every weekend for a couple years, I got either murdered or married. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And uh, I met a guy and he's in the, in the play. And he said, uh, you're nutty. I think you can do what I do. Want to give it a shot. And he owned a public speaking consultancy. And we went to Merck Pharmaceuticals. And he said, you want to watch one time. So I watched. He said, can you do this? I said, piece of cake. No problem. Great. No training, no information, buy a suit and be ready for these two days. And I went, okay. And so at 24 years old, I was training baby boomer, essentially men, scientists, engineers, chemical engineers, physicians, lawyers, and they, they hated me. 
because I knew- What were you teaching? Public speaking. I was teaching body language and executive presence. I knew what to tell them to do. I could identify it, but I couldn't model it because I was 24. Right. I was an actress. I was like, oh my God, so you really need to slow down and you need to like stop using non-words because like it really undermines your authority. And the boss <laughs> said, you need, you need to make an adjustment. And I thought, well, what? And I realized it was me. And I used all of my acting techniques to create the character of my most authoritative self. Who is Stacy when she feels like, mm, boss lady, boss. And I was able to then for 12 years, tell executive level engineers and scientists what to do. That was the beginning, the seeds of the Mandeville method. Everything the Mandeville method does is concrete, actionable, practical. We talk about soft skills, but I concretize them so that you can do it. You know, that's so interesting because I was in banking my whole career and went to tons of trainings and so forth. And you got a lot of information. But exactly, you just hit the nail on the head. The action items, and sometimes you got one, and sometimes you didn't, but that's really what everyone needs is the actionable items in the way, oh, yeah, she's right, but how do I do this? Mm -hmm. I bridge the gap between knowing what to do and how to do it. And that Mm -hmm. euphoric feeling when you get out of a training and you feel so inspired, and then you get to your desk and you go, what do I do? I Or I have 9,000 emails to return that I missed. And that was the end of that. Right. And so the other part of the Mandeville method is I use uh, what I'm calling the watercolor method, where the Mandeville method is three pillars of foundational soft skills, human skills, people skills, whatever you want to call them, because I've done many different kinds of trainings. And, you know, they say, oh, can you teach super duper executive listening skills? Can you teach feedback 101, whatever it Mm -hmm. is. These three foundational elements ended up in every single program. Because if you can't communicate with authority, gravitas, and clarity, if you cannot leverage emotional intelligence in a business setting, in a practical way, And I'm not talking about hugging your coworkers. I'm talking about managing triggers and opening your spidey senses. So there's that. And then the third pillar is building a community, really building a a mesh, a network of people that have each other's backs. Because if we learned anything during COVID, it's that you need a safety net because it could hit the fan at any moment. Yeah. So, but the watercolor method is first you learn communication skills. And then that blends with EQ because they are connected. And then EQ and communication blend. EQ, emotional. Emotional quotient, emotional intelligence. It blends with community. So then you have all three of them working together and that affects sometimes stealth culture shift. And culture, workplace culture is such a big emphasis now. And I don't know, I mean, maybe it was before COVID, but after COVID, it's a big, big thing because so many people aren't there. And how do you continue to have a corporate culture when people aren't standing at the water cooler together and, you know, leaning over a cubicle to help each other? Is it more difficult now? So Lynn, I think it is more difficult 
but human beings are extremely adaptable and we crave community. We really are built to be together. And when a workplace is open to adjusting and open to culture, people will find a way. People will find a way. Over COVID, I was never alone. I started a co-working group so that I, and at 10 to 12 every day, every work day, during two years, I met with a handful of women and we would help each other work. We would turn the camera on, turn the mics off. So it's accountability. You're sitting at your desk and then we would help each other. I was on game nights on Zoom. We figured out how to watch TV together. I did Christmas caroling, holiday caroling on Zoom. You can find a way. It takes more time. And you have to have a little bit of a strategy to do it. Okay. So let's backtrack a little bit. You're singing and dancing, and all of a sudden you're in front of the executives at Merck. How did this translate from you know, your ability to do this into a business? We have a lot of people on that listen to our podcast regularly that are business owners, and they may have a gift like you do and a skill set or you know, they're able to build something or sell something, whatever. But how did you take all of this talent mm -hmm. and channel it into a business? And what exactly is your business model? Let's talk a little uh, bit about that. Sure. So the first question of how did I leverage that and grow it into a business? Well, necessity is the mother of all things. Of and course. the guy who I was working with we ended up, there was no growth with him. He was a one-man show and I did my part. And once I started realizing, huh, I have a superpower here. I'm actually really, really good at this. And clients started writing in our feedback. There's a lot more to Stacey Mandeville. Why isn't she speaking? Why isn't she doing more? And it just made me realize I could make more money and have more control over the material. So I thought I was an actress, right? I had no business, zero, none, zip, nothing. Can't even read a spreadsheet, don't want to. And I, I, I got lucky. I was at a party and some business people were there. And because normally I only hung out with actors. This was a weird party. I somebody <laughs> that had business friends. And one of them said, oh, yeah, I'm networking. I went with this guy at this event. We're handing out business cards. I went, what, what? What is that? <laughs> um, so the first thing that an aspiring entrepreneur needs to do is listen for ear candy. What can help? Like your spidey senses again. Your ears are open. And you're looking for what's shiny. And so I got on a bunch of mailing lists for networking, and I just got my suit out and made some <laughs> business cards. And I was mentored by the people in my network. I still haven't right. gone to business school, but I had people that sat me down and said, you know, so, uh, so what's your business plan? What, what's your value proposition? What's right. your pain point? And I went, duh. And they were like, okay, honey, come here. And they would sit me down over coffee or a meal and, and teach me. And right. tell me what books to read. So as an autodidact, it, as an entrepreneur, it's all relationship building to start with. 
Most things come down to relationships, don't they? Yeah. That's community. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all the things teaching people to do that when it doesn't come to them innately, that's your skill. But you use that to learn the things you needed to have a business. So when someone said to you, you need a business plan, were you like, what is a business plan? I mean, that, that oh, yeah. far down. And so did you write a business plan or you never wrote one? Mm, yeah. I, okay. I run a very right brain business up till now. I have been flying by the seat of my pants. It took me a while before I went, huh, I should see if having a business and taking money from people is legal. Maybe there's something I need to do. So I finally got a DBA and this year I incorporated. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm, I got my, I got one women in business certification. I'm going to go for the minority slash women in business. And I had to do that. Wonderful. I got a client that required it. I now have a bookkeeper, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to get to the size uh, of client where I need that plan. I need a credibility. I have a marketing coach now. I don't know that I'll ever have a proper business plan. My business plan is here. (laughs) Um, But I might do. The more I, if I start having to scale, God forbid, I have enough clients where I have to train trainer and hire other. Right. Do you have any employees at this point? I do not. Okay. I am sure that there are plenty of people listening that can totally relate to your story. But you do get to the point where if you're doing sales and you're doing the presentation, somebody has to be mind phone calls and and your bookkeeping and so forth. And bookkeeping is a little bit more technical than somebody could teach you over breakfast at a networking event, right? right. So how did you learn how to price your services? Ah, uh, pricing services, Lynn. That has been a nightmare journey. It's terrifying when you're starting out, especially. And I, uh, of course, I, I mean, I Googled as much as I could. And I found an array of pricing from, well, that's not enough to, oh, oh my God, I could never. (gasps) So I started with what I could handle in the range. My best piece of advice I got from someone, someone on the street. Firstly, they in the in my networking group, right. they said sweet spot pricing was number one. Sweet spot pricing is especially if you're selling packages of things. If you have a product, mm-hmm. that's math. How mm-hmm. much does it cost to make? How much right profit percentage? When it's, right. when it's ephemeral, sweet spot pricing number Goldilocks. One package number one is not enough. It doesn't fill your need, but it's cheap. The middle, that's the one you want them to buy. And there's wiggle room in there too, but that's the one, that's the price you want. Then you give them a package that is the earth. More than they need, more than they can spend. And normally what happens is they pick the middle, but they want one or two other things. And then you negotiate. And if they under negotiate, when you're first starting out, you kind of say, okay, yes, I will do it for that. But I want 
to videotape it. I want testimonials guaranteed 100%. I want something not undervaluing invoice. I always used to give them what the real price was and then the discounted you're my duper buddy price. Yeah. And so you created a a relationship Mm -hmm. there because they trusted you and you gave them their the best deal that you possibly could. Yeah. So you haven't gone into training trainers. You are still when someone hires you, they're getting Stacy Mandeville. Yes. That's a huge step when you take, you know, the next one. And you you said it, scaling up <laughs> and and doing that. And did you ever picture yourself as a businesswoman? <laughs> did I ever picture myself as a businesswoman? Only on stage. If you yeah. if you could go back in time and talk to Stacy at NYU in drama school, crawling around on the floor, accessing her inner animal and doing Shakespeare, I would have laughed out loud. No way. Right. So you made this transition. Are there specific industries that you are most comfortable with? Because your first one was pharmaceuticals. Is or do you And does the Mandeville method work in any type of industry? Okay, Lynn. So I get in trouble with this question because everybody says you have to niche. All the sales, marketing, branding, you have to niche. I am technically business agnostic. The Mandeville method works for any business, any industry, any team, anywhere in the world. If they're willing and ready to make changes. You know, if you come to me looking for a Band-Aid because you have budget and you've got to tick a box, there's better coaches for that. You, you, you Dale Carnegie, all these, they're, they're box tickers. Mm-hmm. They're very talented, but they're box tickers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do enjoy and resonate more with pharmaceutical, chemical, technical, uh, software, blockchain kind of people mm-hmm. do a lot of pitch coaching for startups because okay. these technical companies, these technical folk tend to be very in their data, in their computer. And they sometimes need permission to open up their communication skills, their EQ and build community. And they need to learn how, because if you're That's not introverted, You've got to be able to do it in the context of who you are without me coming and saying, well, you have to be extroverted. No, you don't. Not at all. You do it your way. And that's what I teach. And that's so valuable because it's true. There are certain types of industries that attract, I guess it's left brain people that don't have that, or it is not innate in them. And yet they need to make money. So again, getting back to everything's relationships. It's, you know, well, it's the same that they need. It's the same with networking. You know, I started doing it before I knew how to do it. I was intimidated, terrified by business people, absolutely terrified when they're not my client. Merck, I would right. do that here. I'm, how authentic should I be? Who am I? What, how do I talk about my business? I don't have no idea. My first networking event, I was so terrified, Lynn. I couldn't mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. 
oh, here's the name tag. I said, where, where, where? I had to go into the ladies room and I looked in the mirror and I said, Stacey Mandeville, you are a communication skills coach. Get it together. Executive presence. It's okay. Right. <laughs> but one of the things I teach is networking for introverts. It falls under communication skills. Right. Where you learn to do it your way in right. your comfort level. Yeah. This is such an important part of all business that I think that listeners are are probably very interested in this. Now, when you are doing sales, are you the only one who sells or do you have in any way, shape or do you sell on social media? Do you sell, you know, or, or is it your business, a lot of it referral based? So Lynn, right now, my business is primarily referral based. The other way I get business is I speak pro bono, like here, wherever anybody will let me, I'll mm -hmm. do 45 minutes, 60 minute training. I don't right. do that thing where I promise you the earth and it's just a sales pitch. And then right. at the end, it's like, well, if you buy it now, you'll no. I give you a sample training with, with a concrete takeaway. And if there is need in the room, somebody will call me at some point. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. My 2024 journey is we're going to start some marketing and some sales. I have my eye on an assistant company, remote assistant that will have business development acumen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to start my social media journey. I'm not doing a lot with it yet because I just, I'm, I'm so right-brained. I just want to be in front of the room training. And right and talking well, to people sitting at the desk and doing that is hard, but 2024, we're going to do it because I was tapped to write a book. And he said, you have to have a social media following or no one will publish you. So that's your challenge. I have a market to help me. So you're going to have a book that communicates some of what you do in your training, I would assume. So do you prefer being in front of the people as opposed to Zoom or you've figured out how to do one-on-one -on, -one on Zoom. I teach also, but it's so different on Zoom when you can't have the eye contact and the body language. You don't know if what you're saying is going right over their head or not. So I'm wondering as, as a teacher, how do you do that on Zoom? Well, firstly, I do prefer to be in person. And if people will meet, especially facilitating large groups. Right. Obviously, we've proven it can be done with the right amount of breakout rooms and trying to insist on cameras being on and having everyone's names, being able to call them by name because they were right. paid. Exactly. You have to say, Bob, what do you think of that? You know, right. Alicia, talk to me about the thing, right? But when it's remote one-on-one, -on -one, it is it's it is incredibly challenging, but people want to meet on Zoom. I Usually I'm teaching them communication skills on Zoom. And so we talk about making eye contact with the camera when you're talking, making sure the camera's at the right level so you're not mm -hmm. here. And we talk about using body language on camera. You notice mm -hmm. I'm afraid to put my hands in the screen, right? And using more intonation. I tell them you have to push your energy more because you should be exhausted at the end of the day doing Zooms all day right. because your voice and your energy has to go through the computer, up in the up into the satellite, through space, and down <laughs> their computer through a tiny speaker. And if you're monotone and not paying attention, it's or like, I can. I can see you multitasking. 
I can see <laughs> you checking your phone, right. right? And I will, you know, if I see somebody doing that, rarely happens one-on-one, they know better. But in a group, you right. know, then you, I ask them a question. I ne- would never say, hey, hey, eyes up, <laughs> you know. But no, I understand. I'm sure you're doing the same things. Yeah, I mean, and adult learning is difficult and has its challenges right there to begin with. And somebody once told me like the attention span is so short Mm -hmm. that it's mind boggling, way shorter than it was when you're working with elementary school students. It's difficult, or maybe it's just about the same. So let's get back to the business part of this. What is your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge is probably, it's always sales. It's business development and sales. Mm-hmm. And particularly because I am, for all of you right-brained folk out there, I was supposed to be on stage. I was not supposed to be sitting at a computer and getting my business to the point where I can afford someone else to begin to do that for me is very right. exciting. Uh, but it is sales. It is always hard. Not the selling part, really, actually. I'm going to take that back. The marketing is hard. Once I get you on a sales call. Right. I was going to say you have to be great in a sales call. Referral-based business is always the best one. I mean, just anytime you're in sales and there's a warm introduction, it's so much easier than just the knocking on the door kind of thing. Yeah, I'm sure you find that too. Yeah. No, I was training a company. I I know enough about sales and cold calling to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. I teach it by any means. There are people better for that, but Mm -hmm. they had hired me for pitch coaching and their their prospecting calls. So we ended up talking about that. And I did say, you've got to get warm, warm intros. Even if that's going on LinkedIn, reaching out to them saying, hi, do you know this person you know, researching someone's LinkedIn and saying, hey, you have connections with this and this and this. And I know them or they, yeah. Right. You've got to get warm, especially if you're going to call. If you're going to call on the phone, don't call me on the phone. I will hang up. I don't, if I don't know you, um, I don't pick up. No one does, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I do know a couple of people who prefer to use the phone. Let me ask you something that I did read about. On your LinkedIn page, and you talked about your purging. Tell us what that is and the value of it. Okay. So, personal brand, if you Google it, it comes up as basically a CV. You know, I did this and I did this and I'm, a, I'm good at this and I do Excel and blah, blah, blah. I'm more talking about interpersonal brand. When people are, when your manager, let's say, is putting together a team. Why do they pick you? Why do they not pick you? And that is not just your skill, it's interpersonal brand. Because there's probably 35 people on the team that are great at Excel, your tech, whatever thing you're good at. Right. But they pick you because of you. And it's the same for an entrepreneur. Your interpersonal brand is what causes them to call you instead of your competition. Because there's room for everybody. I'm not afraid of other soft skills coaches because if you want me and my interesting brand, uh, I'm rebranding. I have a new copywriter. She's really diving into authentically my actory part. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you don't resonate with that, there are other coaches that are brilliant that mm-hmm. resonate with. 
and you would hate me in the room because I'm funny. I'm going to joke around. It's not for everybody. So interpersonal brand is how you interact with the other humans in the room. Plus your So it all has also to do with the emotional quotient, emotional intelligence. And for people who have difficulty, you know, digging that out, I mean, is emotional branding something, a way for you to teach them how to do that? Emotional branding and personal branding can be taught, but they have to want to. You get somebody who comes in and go, well, this is just how I am. Okay. I, it's not, you don't want to, but somebody who looks at their workplace and the responses they're getting, somebody with a growth mindset can look and say, I'm not getting promoted. I'm not being picked for the high level projects. I am not getting hired by my client that I'm my target client. Well, there's one common denominator, you. And if you want to make adjustments, the EQ, the communication skills, the community building, you become open to it. And I 100% have changed my interpersonal brand from when I was at Merck, deliberately, on purpose, for the benefit of my business. Interesting. But it's not fake. It is an authentic part of who I am. It's one facet of who I am. And I'm different here than I am with my friends. And you get me together with some theater people and you're going to see a completely different side of me. Right. Well, well, people do all have facets too. So does your coaching for interpersonal communication in the business world, is it transferable skills that people say to you, oh my goodness, my relationship with my spouse has changed since we've had these classes. Do you get that? You know what, Lynn? I do. I do. And I say that in my training. I say, you know, this is not just for TED Talks and presentation skills. It's for everyday, day-to-day in your workplace, building relationships. And uh, you can also use it to talk to your kids and your spouse and, uh, you know, and there's a certain amount of deliberate emotional intelligence We all do it. We all have different facets. But when you can choose what you're showing in a more mindful way, you can meet people where they are. You can be less hurtful to people when you're upset. You really can make these these decisions rather than reacting versus responding to the people in your life, personal and private and business. When I was in the corporate banking world and we would have leadership training, and you, they would talk about emotional IQ. We take these little tests, and they put people in blocks. You were either A's related to B's or C's. Are any of those tests, those classic personality tests, tools that you use, or you don't? So, in regards to those kinds of tests and uh, psychological and emotional in- assessments that businesses use, a British statistician named George Box, and he wrote. All models are wrong. Some are useful. Not true. So what the way I take that is, if you're using these tests as one piece in a puzzle, they can be interesting. And it's kind of like astrology, where you could say, oh, yeah, I'm a Virgo on the cusp of Libra. I totally recognize all of those. Oh, yeah, I do that. Do you really? I mean, doesn't everybody have all that? Right. But it's an interesting 
way to get out of your head. Because now I'm thinking about the other types, not just me. And I walk in and I have all my, the way I am. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, but what if you don't communicate the way I do? Hmm. But you're my potential client. Mm-hmm. How do I adjust my facets so that I can meet you where you are without being inauthentic? So my favorite one of those is the DISC. I like the DISC personality styles mm-hmm. because they're simple. Remind me which one that is. Um, the disc is. I'm sure I took it. <laughs> I'm sure you did. It is dominant, influencer, steady, and conscientious disc. And I like them because they're simple. You can kind of identify right away what type somebody might be. Mm-hmm. Dominant type, because everybody's all the types, honestly. Let's be You're let's right. be clear. But yes. you do have a dominant type. Right. Um it's just an interesting way to to think, you know, I go to a networking event and I'm there to be chatty. I'm an influencer type. Right. And, um, I use the bird archetype one. So I'm a parrot. I want to chat. I want to talk. I'm also dominant. I'm, a, I'm an eagle because I run my own business. Let's be clear. Right. right? Yes. But I'm, I'm there to be chatty. But if I meet somebody who says, uh, here's my card. What do you do? What's your value proposition? I go, okay, we're not chatting. Or if I meet somebody who doesn't really want to interact. I think, oh, maybe they, maybe we have one of the, the owl, the conscientious type. Maybe I'm not going to talk to them about what I'm doing on the holidays. Maybe I'm going to ask them what they're reading. I'm right. going to switch. Am I uninterested in reading? No, that's hundred percent authentic. It's just a different facet. But if you're hiring people and putting people into boxes and stereotyping people based on any of these types, 16 personalities, Myers-Briggs, DISC, that is, that's a slippery yeah. slope. Yeah. I do think that large businesses do that. And I do believe that teaching networking is something that unless you are gregarious and outgoing, networking is scary and networking is critical. It's just a critical part of business. Whether you're the salesperson or not, business development is, you know, all of your businesses depend on having clients. And so and relationships and everything that you do relates to all of that and brings it full circle. This has been so interesting and so informative. And I can't tell you how much I learned by talking to you. And I'm sure all of our listeners did. Is there anything else that you would like people to know about you that I didn't ask? Please. I just love because I am relationship building and I think I reverse the, you know, the trust equation, if you've ever heard of it. It's no like trust. Mm -hmm. I have to know you, then I have to like you, then I trust you. I think it's, I got to like you first. Then I get to know you. Then I begin to trust you. So liking me, I'm a crazy cat lady. I have four cats. I love all animals. I have a turtle and a giant fish tank. And I would have a skunk if you'd let me. And I swing dance and I sing jazz. And fun fact, I am in the movie Mad Hot Ballroom. I used to teach ballroom dance to children. And I am in that movie because my students were in that movie. So uh, you can check that out. And as far as I just would love to leave, because my trademark is a concrete tip for networking. If you are introverted, even if you're not, it helps. Two things. One, it is easier to network than it is to go to your cousin's wedding. 
because at networking, we all are uncomfortable. We all are expecting to break into conversations in a weird, creepy way and leave in a way that might seem rude. That is expected so you can take a breath. Second, have a list of five or six topics that you are comfortable talking about that you can ask questions of the other person. What's your favorite fiction and nonfiction book? What what are you binge watching right now? What is the most interesting business challenge you have faced in the past six months? What's your coolest client? Have those in your pocket. So when you walk up to people and there's that awkward thing to say. So that's my concrete tip, as is my trademark. I cannot imagine that there isn't anyone on this podcast who couldn't benefit from something that you have to offer. So Stacy, please tell our listeners, how do they get in touch with you? Okay. So the best way to get in touch with me is my email address, which is Stacy, S-T-A-C-E-E at mandevillemethod.com, M-A-N-D-E-V-I-L-L-E method. And uh, just uh, for a little punctuation, I'm going to put my festive glasses on to make sure people call me. Oh, yes. We have bonded over our love of eyewear. So Stacy, it's been the best speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lynn. It has been my pleasure. This has been a fantastic interview, one of the best I've ever done on a podcast. Thanks for joining us today on Ami Sites. Since 2010, multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with a network of the nation's top lenders. Visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.